Several times in the New Testament, the Bible gives us an understanding that, that faith and this journey of life is like a race. There may be moments when you get knocked down, but you've got to get back up and you've got to continue to go. I'd like to read just a few of these, these verses. The first one comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And the author of Hebrews writes to us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It is a race. And in our morning text today, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, we're going to discover one thing to do in this race. That's what Paul wants to lay out for us as he begins to describe what it is that we're lacking in faith, that what we need to really push ourselves forward to. Paul's not telling us how to be saved. Instead, he's telling us what we are to do now that we are saved. So your salvation is secured because of Christ. But once we've accepted that and we've received that into ourselves, now there's something we've got to do. We've got to live it out. We are not saved by works, but we are saved by God for and to do good works. Salvation really is the work of God for us. And sanctification that is the work of God in us, but service, the things to do, that is God working through us. So we've got to be willing to allow Him to do that. Let's look at our text this morning, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul says this to the church there at Philippi. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that I'm preaching to you this morning, but I'm also really preaching to myself. We're all a part of this race. We're all a part of this life and this journey together. And I need to hear these words just as much because there is going to come a point when the race is over. And I really want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that you do as well. So we've got, to, we've got to learn what this one thing is that Paul is so much encouraging us to do. Well, if we're going to get to the finish line and we're going to hear God say those words to us, I think we need to begin with an evaluation. 
We need to look at ourselves internally and see who we are, see where our weaknesses are, our strengths, everything about us, and really discover what's going on. And, and so we begin by taking this evaluation, and that's what it says there in verses 12 and 13. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider it that I have made it my own. So Paul says, I'm not there. I know I want to be there. And if you go a little before, you discover what it is. It's this righteousness. It's this holiness in God. It's, it's the ability to understand that the resurrection, when I raise from this, this dead body and life, that God then looks at me and crowns me with righteousness that he has promised. But Paul says, I've not yet finished it. I'm not there. I've not been made perfect. But what I need to do is I need to consider all these things that I'm making it my own. So Paul takes an, evalu- an honest evaluation of his life. At the time that he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul is an older man. He is in prison and he's facing his execution. He knows that his days are short and he's about to die for his faith. And so what he's saying here to the church is, I'm not yet there. I haven't reached it. I am still working, moving forward. I still have to finish this race strong but I'm not far from that, but I'm not made perfect yet. So I've got to keep striving, and I've got to keep straining, and I've got to keep pushing and pressing on in this race. You and I also need to learn to be satisfied with Christ and not with ourselves. See, because He's the one who does the work in us. If we surrender ourselves and allow Him to work in us. But if we're holding ourselves to our own accountability, then there's a problem right there. Regardless of where you are on your journey of faith, you're not finished. You've got a lot more to go. And the thing is, you keep moving forward and moving forward each and every day. So we need to take this evaluation of our personal life. And we need to see where we are in relationship to Jesus Christ and where we should be. I've met a lot of Christians that through the years, they, they seem to think that they have it all together. And it's not something new. There's always been people who thought they've had it together and they're better than others. And if we begin comparing ourselves to somebody else, we might find people who may not have as much Scripture memorized as we have. They may not have as much godliness as we have. They may not have... You, you get it. But we push ourselves forward and we have to evaluate really where we are. The problem is we're evaluating ourselves against the wrong thing. We measure ourselves up against each other instead of measuring ourselves up against Christ. Paul says that he's considered this this one thing that he's got to do because he's looking at himself that he's not finished. Now I think Paul probably was was thought to be one of the, the greatest Christians that has ever lived if not the greatest. I mean, we look at his writings, and we have within our Bible 12 letters that he has written to different churches and to different individuals. And in those, he lays out how we should live as Christians. And so we watch him and we think, my goodness, what all he's gone through, and what he's struggled with, and how he's overcome obstacles and hindrances in his way to get to this position. And now he is going to die for his faith as he speaks before Caesar. Man, that's, this guy's got to be a strong Christian. 
And if we measure ourselves up to him, we say, well, no, he, he, was, well, he was ordained by God. God called him specifically, and God, whatever. But, but we do the same thing. We always consider ourselves against other people rather than Jesus. The more Paul looked at himself and did an evaluation of his life, and then he looked at Jesus, the more humble he became. And his humility, he began to see himself not as somebody better or somebody more holy, but he began to see himself as somebody that was worse. Because the closer he got to Christ, the further he seemed to find himself in his own understanding of where he was. See, before he was saved, Paul considered himself probably almost perfect. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Man, he, he studied under Gamaliel. He, he understood the, the Old Testament law and the Scriptures, and he was, he was doing everything he could to become the best person by obedience to the law. He almost says, I was almost perfect to it. I've kept all the commands. I've done so many wonderful things. But that wasn't where he saw himself when he immediately saw Jesus Christ. He saw himself for the failure that he was. He saw himself for the sins that he has. And so now, when he considers himself... Well, let's listen to what he has to say. Let's go just a few verses ahead of where we were there in Philippians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 7. But whatever gain I have had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything at loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. It's the righteousness of God that depends on faith, and that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, I think what makes us satisfied with where we are in our Christian walk is we like to compare ourselves to one another. We're always going to find somebody that may not measure up to us. But when you're comparing yourself and you're evaluating your life, I think there's struggles because we're looking at the wrong person. We can't look at each other. Do you know what sin is? Well, now we know that it's doing something that's bad or maybe not doing something that we should have done. It's missing the mark, right? But sin really is this. It's a separation of God and us. I mean, that keeps us from being right there in a relationship with Him. It's the separation because He's a holy God and He's righteous and, and He's powerful and He's almighty and, and we recognize the sin in our lives. We don't even want to be near Him. It separates us from the glory of God. The people there with Moses as they were around the mountain, the glory of God settled on the mountain as he was going to talk with Moses and give them the law. The people, they were terrified because they heard the roaring thunder and the voice of God and the glory of God as it settled. And they said, tell God we don't want to be near him. Tell him that we don't want to get near to stay away. Because they knew the sin in their life and to be in the presence of the glory of God, they could not handle our sin does the same thing. 
I don't think any one of us with our sin would want to stand in the presence of the glory of God. Matter of fact, Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned. And we have fallen short from what? The glory of God. We don't measure up. We can't measure up. We need to spend more time looking in the mirror of God's Word and understand as we evaluate ourselves where we have struggles that we need to remove, where we have weaknesses that we need to strengthen. We need to get rid of things that are blemishes in our Christian life. And when we do, God will reveal things to us in our lives that really aren't pleasing to Him. And we can adjust our character to His Spirit's leading and allow His Spirit then to create within us something that is wonderful. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is grown by Him, not by me. It's not by what I do. It's just simply by my faith in Him and my surrender to Him and my allowing Him to work in and through me that all of a sudden He transforms me into what I need to be. But on my own, I fail. And I've discovered that the more I try to be like Jesus the less I really am like him. And that's where Paul was. The more he tried to be obedient to Christ and tried to live by faith, the more he saw himself as a pitiful wretch. We need to focus on him. And the more we discover our personal sins, they're always there, but we don't need to look at them. We need to look at him. Now, if you're satisfied with your Christian life where you are right now, you're probably aiming too low. Because I know I am. I know that I don't spend as much time in the Bible reading it. I don't spend as much time on my knees in prayer. I don't spend as much time communicating with other people about Jesus. I don't spend as much time loving the others that I should the way that I should love them. I mean, we all fail. We don't do enough, we think. But then again, it's not by my works that there is salvation. But because He has saved me, I should do as much as I can to, to demonstrate how much I love Him. The second thing is this. We need to concentrate. So we've got to have some concentration in our lives. And so he writes in verse 13, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The key to success in any area of life is concentration, focus. No matter what you attempt in life, you're really not going to be successful in it unless you put time and energy into it and you focus and you concentrate on it. One of the unique things that's going on on Wednesday nights with our teen program Sean's got this thing called a prime challenge where he's challenging our kids, our teenagers, to memorize Scripture. All right, But it's, it's, it's set to this ABC format that was done in the New England Primer, which was the first uh, school book here in America. And so you learn your ABCs. ABC, instead of singing the little song, it would be A, a wise son, make it the glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. B, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. C, you go on. Sean, how many have? Twelve. Twenty-six scriptures. They're set to their ABCs. And our kids are memorizing it. But that doesn't happen because they just pick up the Word of God and they read through it and they say, okay, I got it. And they memorize it. They're, most of us don't have photographic memories. 
And so they've got to spend time concentrating, got to spend time focusing, going over and over and over and over, reading those scriptures, putting them in their minds, allowing them to rest upon their heart. This concentration is important in life. Anything that you're going to do, you've got to focus, and we've got to focus and concentrate on our faith in Jesus. The Greek word that is used here in our text in, in Philippians 3 that, that, that talks about this uh, forgetting, it's how it's translated, forgetting what lies behind, it, it really has an even stronger meaning in its original language. All right, it, it means that it's not just forgetting, but it means an absolute and a complete forgetfulness. I mean, it, it's another way, it's, it's given over to oblivion. Maybe some of you might understand it. The hard drive's been erased and there's no getting it back. It's gone. No matter what you do, you're not going to get it back. So he says, we need to concentrate so much that we are forgetting what lies behind us, that we can't ever remember it, we can't bring it up. It's a word that's used in most classical Greek about athletes. Primarily it's used in a race such as we witnessed here on the video. So when one runner passes another runner, he forgets about what the guy is doing behind him. He doesn't focus on him. He doesn't look back to see where he is. He just runs his race, and his goal and his focus is the finish line. Everything else is meaningless. So we need to concentrate on what Christ has laid out for us. So we need to find the one thing that God wants us to focus on, and then we need to forget everything else. Nothing else matters. So what is this one thing? What is this one thing, Paul? Well, as we keep our attention focused on becoming like Jesus Christ, which is what he says, the brother of Jesus, James, writes a letter in the New Testament as well. And listen to what he has to say in the very first chapter, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We need to be single-minded rather than double-minded. We need to keep our focus on one thing and so intense that everything else is oblivious. Ask my wife. I am a one-focused person. I can, I can concentrate on one thing and everything else is gone. Women, you can multitask. Guys, we don't hear or see anything but what we're looking at or what we're thinking about. But guys, our problem is we're usually not focusing on the one thing that we need to be focusing on. We need to focus and concentrate on living like Jesus. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. And Paul says, I get it. There's just one thing I do. Even when we allow good things to distract us from the best thing, those good things become bad. And that's hard to really acknowledge because it's good. But if it takes our attention off of Christ and how we should live, then it's not, not really as good as we thought. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Martha. And Martha was 
preparing her house for Jesus and, and his friends to come and to have a meal. And, and, and she was getting really agitated and upset because Mary wasn't helping her out. She wasn't doing the dishes. She wasn't cutting the pies. She wasn't serving the people. She was just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to her? He, he says, Martha, Martha. He, he says, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen a good portion which will not be taken away from her. So what is it that is so necessary that we forget everything else? It's Jesus. So don't get distracted. Don't be distracted by by anything that's out there. Keep your focus. Concentrate on the one thing that is necessary, which is Him. Your job. Your friends. Your hobbies. They're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but if they keep you from your focus on Christ, then they really are. It becomes a form of idolatry. If all it is that you're focusing on those things and what they can give you and what you can benefit from them, then you've got a problem with Christ because He is the one who supplies all our needs. I've seen too many Christians who appeared to be focusing on Christ and their life was going great. Their relationship with Him was going strong. And all of a sudden, a new hobby, a new job, a new boyfriend or girlfriend, and they began to miss out on coming together with the body of Christ and the church. And their reading the Bible began to disappear. And finally, their relationship with Christ is gone. Because they lost their focus. They allowed something else to distract them. Third, we need to have determination. This is what he says there again in verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How many times is he pressing forward and straining to move forward towards Christ and towards this call that God has given him in his life? I mean, this is a determination conversation in his life. He is relentlessly pursuing the goal. He's writing as an old man in prison. He realizes, you may think I'm down and out, but I'm just beginning. And that's where we all are. Most people probably would have quit by this time if they'd experienced all that he went through, but not Paul. And that's how it is in the Christian life. We need to run this race with perseverance pressing forward. And even if you run the race faithfully for years, but at the end you quit, you still lose. Now you may make it into heaven, but your reward probably is not going to be what He really wanted to give you. Too many Christians have just quit trying. They've quit fighting. They've quit reading their Bible. They've quit praying. They've quit witnessing. But you know what? God uses us to the day we die. He does. He, does. he doesn't set us apart and say, okay, well, you're done now, and I'm going to pick up somebody else. No, we keep going. Matter of fact, you look at some of the people in the Old Testament. Moses, he was 80 when God says, hey, Moses, come here. 
I need to go back to Pharaoh in Egypt and talk to him and let him tell, know that I want him to release my people. At 80 years old, Moses is going to face this biggest challenge. He goes, Abraham, you're 75, and God says, hey, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to make you great. And at 80, he says, let's take off. Go to a place I'll show you. Well, where am I going? Don't worry about it. Just take off. I'll lead you there. We've got a lot of octogenarians in our world today. God is not done with you. He's not finished. Maybe he's just getting started. You can't lose your focus, your concentration, and your determination. You've got to finish. You've got to go strong. Let's look at a couple of other examples in the, in the Old Testament of faithfulness in the race. I think of Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth was a Moabite woman, and she married a Hebrew man who'd, who'd come to Moab because there was famine in the land and, and with his father and his brother, and, and, and they met and they married some ladies there. But her husband died, and so did her father-in-law and her brother-in-law. And now, Naomi has decided that she's going to go back to Bethlehem because the drought is over and, and she's got family back there. Maybe they can take care of her as a widow. And so she encourages the two daughters, daughters-in-law, you stay here in Moab. After all, they're your people and, and you, can, you can find new husbands and you can have children and, and God will take care of you that way. But Ruth is like, no, you don't get it. I've discovered something unique. And so listen to what she says to her in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will your lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth was determined. And we need that kind of determination to go with Jesus, to be like Him. I, I need to determine that no matter what happens, I am not going to turn back and walk away, that I am not going to stop, that I am not going to, to quit, that I am going to continue to press on and strain forward until the end. Determination. I also think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah coming out of captivity, God has provided an opportunity for him to go back to, to Jerusalem and to re-strengthen the city and to rebuild the walls, and he's even financed it through the king of the other country. I mean, this is amazing. And so what do they do? He goes and it says that he makes this evaluation. Listen to what this. He had this, this evaluation of the city. He made some, some ideas of what he needed to do, and he determined that nothing was going to deter him from, from building the wall. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies, he says, they heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Side note, he says, although up to that time I had not set the doors up on the gate, so really there is a breach. But Then he goes on, he says, Sanballat and Geshem, they sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm 
and I sent messengers to saying to them, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I mean, he's willing to face the opposition and say, no, I'm going to keep going on. We need that kind of determination that no matter what comes, no matter the obstacles or the enemies that interfere in our lives, that we will not give up our faith. May God give us that kind of determination as we walk with Him and grow in holiness and become more like Jesus. I like the way that the psalmist put it here in Psalm 19, verse 10. With my whole heart, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I mean, that ought to be our prayer, shouldn't it? Robert Robinson wrote a a psalm, a hymn called, Come Thou Found. Listen to one of the, the stanzas there. He says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, well, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. See, he gets it. We're all prone to wander, aren't we? We know it. And we know that, that even though we love God, we're somehow drawn to go a different direction at times. And so he says, take my heart and seal it so that I don't give it away to anything or anybody else. That you are going to be determined to be his no matter what at all cost. Finally, there's liberation. And verse 13 there, Philippians 3, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Paul had to forget some things. He refused to be enslaved to his past, and he knew he needed freedom. He needed to be liberated from what he had done against Christ and against the church. He was ruthless. He was was an opponent to the church ever starting. And if he found out people were leaving Judaism and becoming Christians, he went after them, would drag them out of their houses, take them to court, put them in prison, and if possible, they would even be killed. He went so far as to get a certificate of authority by the ruling leaders so he could go wherever he needed to go and get people and to persecute this church, to keep it from growing. There are so many people that are enslaved to their past as well. And God's Word tells us to forget those things that lie behind us and to press on. Don't look back. Don't live in the past. Don't allow it to deter you from moving forward. And don't allow it to be something that you have to live in even in your present because God has forgiven and He intends you to be somebody different than who you were. There's a, a rearview mirror in our cars. Have you ever looked at it? I mean, it's just this little thing up here, you know, that you, as you're driving along... To look up and you can see what's behind you, right? Why is it so little? Ever wondered why that thing's so, so small compared to the rest of the windshield that's wide open? It's because you need to focus on what's in front of you. And it really doesn't matter what's behind. But here's the problem. When you take your focus off the road ahead and you're putting your focus into that little mirror, everything else becomes a blur. It's out of focus. It's fuzzy. But you're still moving forward. God doesn't want you looking in your past. He doesn't want you living because you realize how bad you were and what you had done against Him. 
Because what's in front of you is more important than what's behind. Because when we look in our past, the future with Jesus is out of focus. And many Christians are too busy looking in the rearview mirror of their lives, and if they look too long, they're going to crash. You have to keep your eyes focused on the road ahead. We need to be liberated from the guilt of our shame. Paul could have wallowed in his guilt. You think about all the things that he did against the church. And he could have thought, well, God will never forgive me. But God does. He forgives each and every one of us, no matter what we have done. He sent his son into this world to be like us so that he would face the temptations of sin and overcome them and become our sacrifice. The one who stands in our place to take our sins off of our shoulders so we don't have to pay the penalty for them. And he offers himself then as an atonement for us. And now we can become like him, just the opposite, see? Paul knew that God had forgiven him. And he refused to focus on what he had done. But he focused on moving forward, becoming like Jesus. No, but if you choose to live in your past, if you choose to beat yourself up over the sins that you've committed, you've already confessed and you've repented of and you've been forgiven of. You see, here's that problem. See, God does not remember what we have done when He gives forgiveness. He says He removes it as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers it no more. You and I are the idiots who keep bringing it up. And He says, what? I don't know. Because we're still stuck in the past, and so we continue to to dredge up our old things, and we forget that He doesn't even have a clue what it is. So why are we beating ourselves up on the past? Don't look behind. Keep looking forward and run the race that He has marked out for you, that He's calling you to heaven. We also need to be liberated from the glory of our past. You know, a lot of people think that they pretty highly of themselves because of their accomplishments. You know, maybe, you've re- maybe you have memorized the entire Bible. Hey, it's good, but it's not good enough. Maybe you've been very generous and you give 90% of your income away and keep 10%. That's good. That's not good enough. But there are people who often brag about themselves and how good they are. They're in the church. I've met a few of them. I could probably name some. And I just prayed that nobody names me. Because we all fall prey to that, don't we? We think about how good things have been and how well we've done. And we're not as bad as that person. But Paul never did that. I mean, if anybody could have rested on his laurels and taken life easy, it would have been Paul. You think about everything that he accomplished. And now he's in prison. He really can't do anything, can he? Yes, he can. He's praying and he's writing and he's encouraging. And he's still witnessing to those who are around him who come in daily. His journey of faith is not over. Many of us also need to be liberated from the grudges of our past. And you've been hurt by people. I know it. 
I've been hurt. I can even name names from when I was a child of people who did things to me. Probably name things of names of people who did something to you yesterday. And so we hold a grudge, don't we? Paul could have held a grudge from those people who did things against him. Man, how many times was he beaten? He was even stoned, drug outside the city, and left for dead. They were always threatening him, always waiting to get at him, always stirring up people around him so maybe he might get in trouble and get arrested. And yet he was not going to hold a grudge on them. He wasn't going to focus on them. His focus and attention was on Christ. And he was liberated from the things that he had done and the things that others had done to him. Before you can win any race, however, you've got to be in it. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're in it. Ready? Set? Go. Now, you may get knocked down. You may get bumped off and into the wrong lane. But if your focus is where it needs to be, those distractions will be overcome. Maybe you've not honestly started your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you need to get to know Him. Maybe you really don't understand what salvation is all about. And it's simple. You don't have to do anything. He's done all the work. He's already run the race for you, and He has been victorious in it. And He offers it to you freely. The only thing you need to do is you need to die to yourself. You need to surrender and let Him live in you. You need to be buried so He can raise you up. I'm so glad that we have people who are encouraging around us. Since you're in this race of life, you need to seek to win. And that's what it comes down to. You need to seek to run it to win. The praise team wants to come up. Don't you want to hear when you cross that finish line of death the words of Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful. You've run your race. You've kept the faith. Here is your reward. I look forward to that day when he will do that for me. But yet I struggle with myself thinking there's no way I'll make it. There's no way I can finish. But you can. Because he is the one who empowers you to do that. He is the one who lifts you when you're down. Pulls you forward when you think you can't go another step. He's the one who gives you the words to speak when you're confronted by somebody else. We need to do an evaluation of our own lives and realize that where we are right now is not where we really want to be or where He wants us to be. And then you've got to concentrate on that one thing that's necessary, Jesus, and living your life to please Him and Him alone. You've got to make the determination no matter how difficult things get, you're going to keep going. And finally, 
understand the liberation and the freedom that comes from the past. Jesus has done all of this for you so you don't have to worry about it. You just need to keep going as He calls you heavenward. Are you willing to run? That's your challenge for today. Don't give up.